War takes the brave and heroic. But even those who survive war and come back home are not exempt from the terrors of the outdoors. Welcome to Camping Horrors, the show where real people send me their scariest hiking and camping experiences, and I narrate them. I'm your host, Darkness Prevails. Today's episode features an Army veteran's scariest camping story, a disturbing Bigfoot sighting in Indiana, and more. If you like what you hear, leave Camping Horrors a rating on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. For more scary stories read by me, check out Unexplained Encounters and Tales from the Break Room on your favorite podcast app, or just go to eeriecast.com. Thank you. If you want me to narrate your scary camping or hiking story, share it with us at darkstories.org. Now, throw a log on the fire, because the night is still young. U.S. Army Veteran and the Wendigo in Kansas From Sea Philly 100 I was riding a ski lift with a U.S. Army Veteran just last week. We got to talking when he mentioned that he'd spent the last couple of years living in the South Dakota Badlands. I asked if he'd ever seen any Sasquatch out there, based off my friend's South Dakota Sasquatch encounter. He said he hadn't, though he was tracking bison and coyotes through the region at the time in order to better understand their hunting patterns. He did, however, relay a story in which he truly felt he had a close call with what might have been a Wendigo in Kansas of all places. There's an old Native American Union Army trail that goes through Kansas, and my new friend here, as well as a buddy of his, had been hiking along the trail, enjoying the annual bird migration there, when, all of a sudden, everything went deathly quiet. That's when he started hearing the sound of a woman screaming bloody murder, and although his companions somehow could not hear it, the sound seemed to reverberate all throughout the hills. I think my buddy thought I was losing it, he told me. But we both heard it go super quiet, which was odd in and of itself, as we were smack dab in the middle of a massive bird migratory route. The Kickapoo live in the area presently, as a reservation was granted to the tribe back in 1832. And though it was progressively reduced over the years, Part of the tribe has continued to live there, down to present times. He said he'd never been more certain that someone, or something, was trying to lure him out into the dense brush to kill him. What was odd, though, was that his friend couldn't seem to hear the screaming, even though it was crystal clear to his ears. I asked him if he happened to see the creature, or pinpoint the location of that screaming. Not exactly, he said. Though I continued hearing weird sounds and noises, and when we camped out that night, that's when things got really bizarre. We hadn't seen a soul for at least two days, and that night I was on high alert, so I had a tough time falling asleep. Every little sound had me poking out of my bivy sack with my 1911-style 45 pistol, scanning the area for any signs of movement. What was really creepy was at one point, he said he thought he saw a tall, dark shadow move from behind a tree to another, and possibly what might have been a hand reaching out around the tree 
before slowly retreating back into the stillness of the night. When he finally did fall asleep, his dreams were plagued by nightmares, of him trying to escape some unseen assailant while running wildly through the brush, cutting his face and arms up against the bramble. He'd finally made it back to safety in the dream, at which point the dream would simply start over again, as if on repeat. This happened for what felt like ages, before he woke up in a cold sweat, going right back to scanning around the perimeter. At long last, day broke, and the sun gradually began to rise. They packed up their little camp, and didn't have any run-ins with this entity, though the experience had clearly left him shook. It wasn't until the video game Until Dawn was released in 2015 that he remembered that experience and wondered if that's what they'd encountered on that backpacking trip so many moons ago. In her book, American Monsters, Linda Godfrey states that the Chippewa, Ottawa, and Potawatomi tribes in Kansas believe there's an evil man-eating giant human who was turned into this terrifying beast due to some slight to another or through a variety of sins. The Chippewa believe that selfishness, gluttony, or cannibalism would turn a tribe member into the Wendigo as punishment. Descriptions vary from tribe to tribe, but most describe a large elk-like predator that preys upon people who wander too far into its domain. Many report hearing sounds like a baby's cry, a woman screaming, or a voice playing on a static loop of sorts, perhaps a phrase the beast somehow recorded from previous victims, typically something to the effect of, who's there? I need help. I'm lost. Is someone there? Please help me. I'm hurt. Basic human instinct might lead one off into the wilderness in an attempt to help whomever they think is needing assistance. Another common theme is hearing the voice of a loved one, maybe your mother, luring you out into the woods alone, or even a familiar form appearing in the mist, followed by the gradual realization that their voice is off or that the form doesn't quite fit the supposed dimensions of a human being. Often too tall, too slender, arms too long, a stance more suited for a wild animal than a human person. All these possibilities the two of us discussed, while also bringing in other native folklore, such as deer woman or shape-shifting witches, all of which are relatively common motifs in the mythology of the region. But what do you think it was? Bigfoot in Indiana from Danny Joe. The year was 2015. My best friend Scott and I, along with his oldest son David, went fishing at Morgan Monroe Reservoir. We'd all go every year for an all-night trip in August. I would meet up at Scott's and load my fishing gear in his truck, and help him load his so we could get started sooner. I looked forward to the trip every year, it was a way for us to decompress from a long week of work. Scott's son, David, was starting his senior year and was eager to get done with school. At the time, I was only 28 years old, and I told him, enjoy life now, because adulting sucks. Scott and I had known each other for over 10 years at that point, and we'd worked together for the same amount of time. 
Our friendship was more like a brotherhood, and we always had each other's backs, treating one another like family. As we started our drive to our favorite spot to fish, I mentioned to Scott we needed to stop and buy more bait. He shook his head in irritation, so I asked, You alright? Just want to be down by the water, sooner rather than later. I thought you bought bait already, Scott replied. I felt bad about it, but what can I say? I'm only human. We stopped at a small gas station in Martinsville and got some worms and other miscellaneous things to use as bait. We loaded back up and made our way, listening to some good old ladies' music, all three of us excited to catch some fish. From the gas station to the reservoir was about half an hour, but it felt like a lifetime. As we finally pulled into the grass, there was a sign that said closed due to animal attack. The trail we had to walk down to get to the water was covered in shadows as the sun was starting to set, but we didn't care about that or the sign. Both Scott and I carried firearms when we were not at work, so we were confident that we'd be safe. We grabbed our gear, making our way down the trail with haste as we were so eager to start fishing. As we set up everything, all three of us started talking smack on who would catch the most fish. David was the first to put a line in the water, proclaiming he would outfish us. But both Scott and I scoffed, quickly throwing our lines in the water too. After a few hours, we were all having fun, talking about random things like cars, girls, and work bullcrap. At one point, David stood up, telling us he would be right back as he had to go pee. I told him to take a flashlight. It was dark, and I didn't want him to get lost. David took a light and disappeared into the darkness. Around the same time, though, we started to hear this knocking in the distance. A knock, knock, knock. This put chills down my spine, but then the thought crossed my mind that it was just David fooling around with us. As David came back, Scott asked, Hey, could you not be an idiot out here in the middle of nowhere? David replied, First, what are you talking about? Second, who was making that knocking sound? Then the knocking noise started up again, louder than before. Knock, knock, knock. I stood up, grabbing the flashlight from David. I pointed it in the direction of the sound. But I didn't see anything that way. And then, suddenly, something large landed very close to where we were sitting. I pointed the flashlight toward where we thought it landed. The light traveled across the grass, and then I saw it. It was a large rock, somewhere between 10 and 20 pounds or more. Scott was starting to worry that maybe someone was messing with us. But David told him this didn't seem like something a person would do. David asked, Could this be a bear? He had fear in his voice, and I could see it in his eyes too. No, I'm pretty sure bears don't knock around or throw rocks. I was starting to get worried myself. I got my firearm out of its holster and readied it to fire if needed. The knocking and rock throwing stopped for some time, so we thought maybe it was over. I looked at my phone to see it was almost 3 o'clock in the morning, but it didn't feel like it. 
Another knock, knock echoed across the woods. Then the most disturbing sound came after. The only way I can describe it would be a mix between a howl and yell. The noise was way too close for comfort, and it gave me goosebumps in an instant. I asked the other guys if they were ready to leave, and they both said yes almost at the same time. We started to pack up then. Then another rock was thrown. It hit the ground right next to us. I nearly soiled myself then. Scott grabbed the flashlight, pointing it towards the sounds again. This time, about 30 to 40 yards away from us, between the trees, we spotted a tall, dark shadow. This shadow was almost seven feet tall, with reddish-yellow eyes. David asked, Can we just leave, please? He was beyond scared at this point. Scott looked at me, and we both knew this wasn't a person. It wasn't a bear, either. The knocking and rock-throwing continued. We walked pretty fast down the trail, which was parallel to the water's edge. We had almost 100 or more yards to go before getting to the truck. But then there was a kerplunk, followed by a splash right next to where we were. It sounded like whatever was out there had just thrown a huge boulder instead of a rock. All three of us stopped in our tracks, looking around to see if anything was getting closer to us. Heavy footsteps were moving and sounded like whatever was making them was in a hurry. Even with the flashlights, we could barely see a thing. David spoke up. Do you think this is why the area is closed? Scott and I did not reply. We just kept walking. We heard glass breaking ahead of us, which only meant one thing. There was someone or something at our truck. Our hearts beat so fast at that point, I think adrenaline carried us the rest of the way. Scott and I both had our guns out, and we were ready to use them if needed. We kept hearing more and more noises. One noise we heard was a loud screech, like something was dying. I asked Scott then, does the remote start work from here? He reached into his pocket, grabbing his key fob. At that moment, we all got a whiff of the foulest scent. It was like a horrid cross between rotten trees and wet dog. To me, that felt like whatever it was should be very close. So close at that point that I heard low growls just ahead of us. A loud crash and a knock right in front of us, as if something was slamming one tree against another. At last, we made it back to the truck. All four windows of the thing had been smashed in, and we discovered what the screeching noises had been. I opened the tailgate, only to found what used to be a raccoon, smashed up and bent and broken, horribly dead. It was a gruesome sight, but we were in panic mode. We all piled into the truck, and Scott started it. When the lights of the truck came on, they illuminated the woods in front of us. There it was. This blackish-brown, over-seven-foot-tall thing. If I didn't see it with my own two eyes, I never would have believed it. It was real, and here in Indiana, the first word that came to mind was Bigfoot. A Bigfoot was standing about 15 yards in front of our truck, 
with a huge rock in its hand. It had a very angry look on its face. This thing, this Bigfoot, was showing no signs of backing down. Scott began backing up, slowly at first, but the moment that creature began to come towards us, David screamed. Dad, go faster! So Scott put his foot to the floor, and we sped out of there. There was then a loud bang, which caused the back of the truck to move a little, but we kept on driving. We drove the whole way back home, not saying a word, our eyes wide. I can't even be sure if we blinked at all. We pulled into the driveway of Scott's house, the floodlights over his garage coming on. We stepped out, looking at the truck closer. There were dents, scratches, and the broken windows, of course. We looked in the tailgate. There was now a huge rock in the back. That loud bang had been that Bigfoot throwing this huge rock at us. Scott looked at me and finally spoke. Was that what I think it was? I replied, I think so. David, at this point, wasn't saying anything. He seemed to be in shock. Scott tried to tell his wife what happened, but she didn't believe him. She thought he'd been drinking and wrecked the truck. I told my wife about it all, and she laughed at me. This really happened, but it seems like no one cares or wants to try to believe us. Next time we go fishing, we'll make sure not to ignore any signs posted, and we'll stick to the safer side of things. It's 2023 now, and we still haven't been back to that fishing spot. I often wonder if that Bigfoot has ever attacked anyone else. This episode is sponsored by June's Journey. What is horror to you? Monsters? Murder? Mystery? Well, if human monsters are your thing, June's Journey is the game for you, albeit in a more lighthearted tone. June's Journey is a hidden object game with a thrilling murder mystery set in the Roaring Twenties. You play as June on the hunt for your sister's murderer. Discover clues through exciting hidden object scenes with beautiful and atmospheric illustrations and music. Victory brings you closer to new plot points and suspenseful answers. When not hunting for clues, you can customize your own luxurious estate island with gardens, buildings, and decor. Or chat and play with or against other players too in the Detective Club, where you could even put your skills to the test in the Detective League. June's journey is both relaxing and fun to play. With my busy schedule, I find it's the perfect game to pick up and play whenever I've got a free moment. It doesn't demand too much time, and it's pretty satisfying solving puzzles quickly and unlocking new clues. Can you crack the case? Download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. Our bodies come in different shapes and sizes, so doesn't it make sense that our weight loss plans should too? That's the beauty of Noom. They build a personal plan that factors in dietary restrictions, medical issues, and other personal needs so your plan works for you. Noom doesn't restrict or shame when you want to treat yourself. Their flexible program focuses on progress instead of perfection. You don't have to give up carbs or anything. 
And with their daily lessons, you can learn something new about your food choices every day. After just a few days of using the app, I learned how to recognize cues for overeating and how to choose the right foods to feel full. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com. And check out Noom's first ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for 100 healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold. Stocked in rural Oregon. From Anthony K. I was around the age of 18 when this happened. It took place in my hometown in rural Oregon. The town's name is Elkton. Not like that matters. You've probably never heard of it. The place has a population of less than a thousand people and consists of a restaurant, a bar, a store, a park, and a post office surrounded by scattered farmland. Nothing bad ever happens there, and everyone knows each other. At this point in my life, I was pretty lazy. I didn't have a job, no car, I still lived with my mom, and I smoked a bit too much. Basically, in my own opinion, a certified loser. My routine was, sleep in until I felt like waking up, get stoned, and play video games. Once I got bored with that, I'd walk over to my buddy's house, and we'd hang out for the rest of the night. I'd usually hang out there until around 1am. For reference, I lived about two miles out of town, and my buddy lived in town. It was a bit of a hike, but it wasn't bad, and it was probably the only exercise I was really getting at the time. I would just pop in my headphones and zone out till the walk was over. This happened during one of those nights when I was walking back home. I was walking through town on the main road. I had my headphones in, and I was just vibing while I made the two-mile trek. As I approached the park, I noticed a car sitting in the parking lot. It was weird at first, because usually I didn't ever see anyone else on the walks. The whole town would be asleep during these hours. I shrugged it off. Maybe it was someone passing through. Maybe it was someone taking a nap or something. Just off the road by the park is a trail that leads down to the river. At the start of the trail, there's a bench. As I approached the trail, some random guy abruptly appears from the trailhead. This guy looked to be in his early 40s, judging by how he dressed and his facial features. One thing was strange, though. He was wearing aviators, and this was at 1 a.m. He power walked in front of me and sat down on the bench. The whole situation was strange. It looked like he was just staring at me the whole time. I was freaked out at first, but stupidly shrugged it off. I just started walking, diagonally, so there would be some distance between us once I passed him. I passed him and looked at him, and he was still looking at me. I took out one headphone and kindly said, How's it going? I think that was a bad move. He did not reply, of course. I just picked up the pace and focused on getting home. This guy gave me the chills, so I still left out that one headphone, just so I could be aware of my surroundings. I got about a quarter mile down the road and decided to look back 
to see if he was still sitting there. He wasn't, because he was now walking behind me, following me, basically, and he was closing the distance. I swear my heart skipped a beat, and I remember thinking, no way is he following me, really? Maybe he lives up here. But that had to be his car at the park, so why is he going on foot? All these questions were flying through my mind. I looked back again, and he was even closer, walking at a much faster pace. Fight or flight kicked in, and I went from a casual stroll to a dead sprint instantly. I looked back once more. He had matched my pace and was now sprinting at me. For some reason, I decided to veer off the road, cutting through the forest. I sprinted over broken branches, through brush, diving into a bush, and going completely quiet. I could hear him stomping through the forest behind me. Then suddenly, he went quiet as well. I think he was trying to pinpoint where I was. This lasted a few minutes before I heard him start to go the other way, back to the park. I felt so relieved, thinking that he had given up. I still waited a few more minutes before he was out of the forest. Then I cut back through to the road as quietly as I could. Once I hit the pavement, I checked both ways, just to be completely sure he wasn't there. There was no sign of him anywhere. Then again, I could only see about 40 feet in either direction, because I was no longer in the main part of town, and there were no street lamps here. I was still relieved, because I was so certain that I'd lost him. So I just focused on getting back home. I was only about a mile away at that point. Eventually, I put my headphones back in and started to relax again, not even fully cluing in on what just happened. Eventually, I noticed a light coming up behind me, the headlights from a vehicle. My stomach sank as I was praying that it wasn't him. As it approached me, it slowed down. I practically cringed as it pulled up next to me and came to a full stop. I looked up, expecting to see that guy wielding a weapon and demanding that I get into the car. Thankfully, it wasn't him. It was a local guy around my age named Brent. He was on his way home from a get-together. Oh, hey, what's up, dude? I said. Nothing much, man. Do you need a ride home? He asked. But I was stupid. I replied, Nah, dude, it's all good. I'm almost home. Thanks the... I could then see a worried expression on his face as he cut me off and said, Are you sure, man? You know there's someone following you, right? I immediately looked down the road behind me. There he was, the same guy. He was closer than ever before. I could see something in his hands, something that reflected from Brent's taillights. Turns out I had never lost him. He'd been following me, searching for me this whole time. I was completely oblivious, and I'd even put my headphones back in. I looked back at Brent, I didn't even say anything, and I scrambled into the truck. I didn't say a word during the ride. I couldn't stop thinking about how stupid I'd been. 
We soon pulled into my driveway, and I was never happier to see my house. As I was getting out of the truck, Brent jokingly said, I probably just saved you from being murdered. Well, he couldn't have been closer to the truth. The older I get, the scarier this experience becomes. What were the man's intentions? Was he going to try to kill me? Abduct me? Why was he in Elkton, Oregon, of all places? I'm glad I never found out. I stopped staying at my buddy's house so late after this experience, and I always kept one earbud out so I could be aware of my surroundings. No matter how much you think you know an area, or how safe you think it is, you should always be prepared for anything to happen. There are truly evil people and insane people in this world. Stay safe out there, everyone. Warning. The following story contains depictions of violence against pets. Creep on the Trail. From Lady Skinwalker. I was 16 years old when this happened. I'm a 5 foot 2 girl with blonde hair, blue eyes. I've got two large dogs, Zanzibar, a Catahoula Pitbull mix, and Thingamajig, a Pitbull lab mix. I often take them on long walks through a hiking trail off leash. One day during our hike, a man approached me. He looked very average, around 5 foot 9, with brown hair and hazel eyes. He wore a basic gray t-shirt and dark blue jeans. He suddenly asked me if I had a lighter. I told him I didn't smoke, so I didn't have one on me. The man then looked me up and down and asked me for my name. Now, I didn't feel comfortable giving him my real name, so I simply told him my name was Kaya. He then asked about my age, and I answered him honestly then that I was 16. He also asked about my dogs, who at the moment were playing with each other behind me. After a few minutes of seemingly normal conversation, I tried to continue on my walk. He then began to tell me how he thought blondes were so hot and that blue eyes turned him on. I pushed past him, my dogs following playfully behind me. A few miles into the walk, I heard him screaming, Kaya, behind me. He ran up to me and said a woman who looked like me was calling my name and offered to come get me for her. I knew he was lying because I looked nothing like my mother and she wouldn't be calling me by that made-up name I gave him. I told him I knew he was lying and I would not go with him. My dogs, who were playing with a stick, came closer to me after hearing me raise my voice as I turned to gather my dogs and continue my walk, he grabbed me and he shoved something sharp and cold right into my back. What happened next happened so fast. My dogs began barking. The man let go of me. Zanzibar yelped and I heard heavy footsteps running away. I started to have a panic attack, but I guess adrenaline kicked in. I got up and ran to Zanzibar who had also been stabbed. It was a knife. He'd shoved a knife in my back. Thingamajig was running after the man, but came back after realizing the guy had left me alone. I was able to throw Zanzibar over my shoulder 
and speed walk home. Don't worry, Zanzibar is okay now, but I've since dyed my hair black. I just couldn't look at my hair anymore without remembering what happened. Even now as I write this, I feel a panic attack coming on. Whenever I walk my dogs, I still think about what would have happened if my dogs weren't such good boys. I also no longer take that route, and I soon found out I wasn't the first girl he had done this to. Everyone, be careful and aware of people, because there are horrible people out there. If you live in southern Louisiana, watch out if you go hiking. This man is still not arrested. Thank you for stopping by at our little campsite here at Camping Horrors. To hear your story on the show, send it to us for narration at darkstories.org. For more narrations from me, you can catch me on my other podcasts, Unexplained Encounters, and Tales from the Break Room on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or your favorite podcast app. Or you can go to eeriecast.com for those and even more terrifying podcasts. Follow me on X, formerly Twitter, at Dark Prevails, and be sure to leave Camping Horrors a rating and review on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Now then, I'll see you soon when the campfire blazes once again.